Welcome to episode 15 of the EdTech Pod Squad. On this episode, the squad is going to talk about best practices for submitting conference presentation proposals, our best tips for passing the Google certification exams, and more. Welcome to the EdTech Pod Squad, a monthly show where five Missouri EdTech leaders talk, share, and reflect on their own teaching and learning. The conversation with Samantha Hardesty Knoll, Aaron Lawson, Jonathan Lee, Josh Howard, and JP Presavento starts right now. Hey guys, I'm JP Presavento in the room from Fox School District in Arnold. You can connect with me online at JP Prez, that's Prez with two Z's, or my website, jpprez.com. Hey, I'm Erin Lawson from the Orchard Farm School District, a district tech coach, and you can find, find me on, and my husband decided to call it this now, the Twitter tweet. So you can find me on the Twitter tweet at Erin underscore Lawson three. Nice. My name is Jonathan Lee, and I am an instructional specialist with METC, and you can find me on whatever Aaron called it, uh, Aaron's Twitter husband tweet. called it, Twitter tweet, <laughs> at jleetechpercent. Um, and my name is Josh Howard. I'm an instructional technology coach with the Fulton Public School District in Fulton, Missouri, um, and you can find me on the Twitter tweeters at uh, Josh C. Howard and my website, joshchoward.com. Love to connect. Hi, all. My name is Samantha Hardesty Knoll, and I'm an instructional tech coach for the Wentzville School District. And I'd love to connect with you at Tech Knoll. So we're going to jump right in and talk about what's new. Jonathan has some great things that he's going to talk to us about Microsoft. But first, we want to talk about a great tweet that came out from Tech Moody. So if you guys don't know this yet, uh, the EdTech Pod Squad is on Twitter at Ed Tech Pod Squad, so you should absolutely connect with us there. And we had a, a very recent Twitter shout out in response to episode 14, where tech coach Amanda Moody at Tech Moody on Twitter said, I love the idea of doing summer Twitter bingo with teachers. Thanks for the idea at Josh C. Howard. We should do this at McCann1776 at Tech Knoll. So that's talking about our best practices for district Twitter challenges in our last episode. Thank you, Amanda, for tweeting at the show. And you guys can connect with us on Twitter at EdTechPodSquad. Awesome, JP. Jonathan, do you want to jump in and talk a little bit about what's going on in the Microsoft world? Yeah, so if the rest of you want to go ahead and hit mute, because I know you don't realize that Microsoft still exists, but um, I, I want to bring it up, you know, because everybody gives me a hard time, and I got some fans either because you all make fun of me. So um, not a whole lot to report out other than the fact that I just read an article that said that uh, Microsoft is making a huge um, comeback, I guess is not really the word, uh, but Slack, and a lot of us know Slack and maybe even use Slack for communication and collaboration around different items. Um, it's a huge company and a big product, and they have come out actually last week and said our biggest competitor that we're worried about is Microsoft and their Microsoft Teams app. Um, and so the Teams app has been around for about a year and a half now, and I've been saying for a year that it's it's pretty awesome. Um, and so if you don't know anything about Microsoft Teams, I would definitely look it up because it's going to be relevant very soon. Um, when everybody goes Office 365, you will have access to this. It is 
kind of a competitor to Google Classroom, but not. It basically it's just a, a home for all of everything uh, Microsoft, but you can also get to your Google Drive and work on everything Google within your Microsoft Teams app. So it's really kind of a hub for everything, and it's web-based. So you can do it on any device, including your mobile device. So it's pretty slick. Um, a lot of companies are using it. So as your high school teachers may go, oh, well, since organizations are using it, um, Microsoft touts that over half of the Fortune 500 companies using it. So it's a, a pretty big deal. Um, I won't bore you with that, but I will balance it out uh, with my Microsoft tip to with a new tip within Google Sites, which I'm not sure if you guys have seen this yet, but they've added another feature to Google Sites. You can now insert image carousels on your Google Site. Have you seen that? I have seen that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So when you're in your Google Site and you want to edit, you, there's an item right underneath the table of contents, and you click on the in, uh, that, and then you just it asks you what images you want to put in that carousel, and it's going to kind of rotate through, um, and it's like a real full-blown site you see out there. So it's really cool that that's now available and um, that they continue to add stuff to to sites. So there, one Google, one Microsoft, no Apple. Sorry. <laughs> We might get to them on next episode. <laughs> so we're going to move into the section of our coaches corner um, for our podcast. And I know that many of us are in that season of the year where our teachers are working on taking different certifications to show their proficiency in different uh, products. And so we wanted to talk just a little bit about some just best tips for how to pass. And we're talking specifically about the Google certification for Google Educator Level 1 and Level 2. So I'm just going to jump right in there. We have, um, we have a Level 1 and Level 2 group in our district. We also have a Level 3 that at some point in time I'll talk about. Um, but one of the things that we do is that we just create kind of an unstuck guide for the teachers. So we take the, the major pieces of the test and we include links or just helpful hints so if the teachers get stuck, that they have different tools with them to be able to help get them unstuck. Because not all of our teachers take their exams with us. Some of them prefer to take it at home or in a quieter place, and we're okay with that. So it's just kind of our resource that we give them. So another tip that I have for just passing the Google certification, only do what Google asks you to do. So if they, you know, if it's, I don't know, I'm just throwing something random out there. If it just says, uh, put two text boxes on a Google slide or something like that and say something in them, like only do the two, don't make it all fancy. You don't have to sit there and create, you know, pick different crazy fonts and change the background and do all sorts of stuff like that. You, you don't have to do it. If it just tells you to do something, you just read it, do it, and don't get really fancy with it. Um, and so, like I said, just don't spend time making something really pretty if they didn't ask you to. And then things, too, like I've noticed with my teachers, um, it's if they didn't tell you, if you have to share it with somebody and they didn't say make it view only or share just the link, if they didn't specifically say that, then you just keep it on the default of edit, you know, basically something like that. So just a lot of things, you just keep it on the default setting that it's on unless they specifically told you to change that. So definitely just uh, only do what Google asks you to do. 
That's a really important point, Aaron. I know Jonathan's getting ready to jump in and I'm going to try and provide a little segue for you, but only doing what they ask really helps you preserve your time because Jonathan's going to talk about three hours and that sounds like a lot of time, but once you get testing, it not isn't necessarily as long as you might think. Jonathan, take it away. Yeah. So, I mean, three hours does feel like a long time. And when you start hit the start button, like, oh, I got plenty of time. But when you get into those scenarios and uh, it, it, it will fly by. So I've heard of horror stories of people saying, yeah, I'm taking when I get home and I got a couple, I got a couple hours before the kids get home. And next thing you know, the kids are home and then they don't finish the test. And so you definitely need to make sure that you've got three hours of full quiet time. I know a lot of libraries now, public libraries, at least in our area are have quiet rooms that you can just get for free. Just go and sit in there for three hours because you will need it, and distraction is um, not good for the test itself. So keep that in mind. Um, I would. Uh, the time thing is the number one stress factor for teachers that I have trained, especially in my district, because um, there it's just so much like little things that you have to do, and it's it's so hard because you just see that the time is just kind of slowly ticking down, and you'll you'll be like halfway through the test, you'll start to realize, oh crap, I might not actually get the test done. So one thing I, uh, I always tell our teachers is just make as much progress as you can. Answer, answer the multiple choice questions. Get through those parts. Don't like take like a crazy amount of time on any one thing because I've had teachers who don't finish the test that still pass. So it's about like racking up the credit and doing what you can do really well. And then if there's stuff you don't know, you know, throw, throw it against the wall and see if something sticks, but don't like, like obsess over it. Um, the other thing is, and basically to reiterate what Jonathan said, you will, uh, especially if you're in a, in a school and you're trying to take it, there's going to be all sorts of distractions and you're going to have kids knocking on your door and you're going to have, uh, a phone call that comes, you got to talk to a parent or whatever. So if just remember, like when you start taking that test, the, uh, you can't like come back next week and finish it. Like it's got to happen in that one window. So I always say do it after school, do it before school when you know, I mean, I don't think any of us are coming in before school for three hours to make sure that you have a clean window to, to take a test. I mean, I would, I would do that rather than try to fit it in like, okay, it's seventh hour. I can coast into the end of the day. Oh crap. Here's the thing that just came up. Um, and another thing that I always recommend teachers do is, if you can just like have a reference back to uh, your own Google account. Cause the thing that they make you do when you take the certification is you log into the testing Google account and it's, it might not have like the, your contacts won't pop up the same way and stuff like that. So I always have our, our teachers will, uh, if they do it on their own, I just say like have your Chromebook so you can get on there and just play around with something in your drive for a couple of minutes so you can figure out how to do it before you like submit the, the real live thing in the actual test. And uh, that seems to take a little bit of stress away from our, our test uh, takers as well, just cause it's like your own Google drive can be your playground and then you can kind of submit the actual thing on the, for the examination. And my quick tip, although I think I may have stolen Jonathan's thunder a little bit. My quick tip is to think like a Googler especially on those objective questions, that first set of um, objective questions you're going to answer. Some of my teachers get a little nervous about those. And I say, pretend you work at Google when you answer those and answer those questions as if 
you you live in those tools and if you do that you should be okay i think another thing that i think uh teachers kind of underestimate being on there is uh the content stuff so there's just a lot of things like digital citizenship that you need to know a little bit about to answer some of those questions i think our teachers go in thinking it's all going to be emailing google docs and in uh formatting tables and stuff like that but there's all there's there's all there's all that whole multiple choice section to it and there's a lot of content you need to know and all that stuff's on the google training resources so study as much as you can on that too and that's whenever i do training sessions that's a big thing i cover with teachers is i want to show you where this is i'm not going to read you every thing from the prep materials but you need to know where it is so you can go back and review it before you take the test Those are all great ideas for anybody who's getting ready to take their Google certification or thinking about it. Um, that's awesome. We're going to go ahead and meet, uh, move into our featured content today. Uh, and today we're really talking about submitting conference proposals. Um, so we're going to jump in with our first question is, how do you decide if you're, if you're getting ready to go to a conference or wanting to go to a conference, how do you decide what you want to share at the conference? Uh, the way that I decide what I'm going to do at a conference is I just think about like stuff I've been seeing uh, teachers have a lot of interest in, a lot of stuff that I see pop up on blogs and stuff like that, and things that uh, I have kind of tested out with students. Because the primary stuff that I present is projects that I've kind of worked up with students over the last couple of months, and they're things that I know work really well. And... Um, I'm more into like whenever I do conference presentation or if I go to any do any kind of uh, presentation, um, I want it to be something students do, um, uh, maybe some sort of project or activity or, you know, something engaging and fun. So like if, I, if it's something that I've tested out and I've, I see that it works with students, that's a big thing that I want to go off and uh, share with teachers at conferences. Josh, I want to jump in real quick and highlight one thing that you said that I think is so important. You're going to submit things to present that you've tried with students and works. Too many times, I feel like whether it's at the district level or even at that regional level at an METC type of conference, I'll see people say, yeah, I'm going to submit this and then I'm going to go ahead and learn about it and submitting the proposal is going to make me learn. We really ought to make sure that we're submitting things that have we have evidence that they work in the classroom, that we have student work samples that we can share. And so that when we're talking about these things, we can say, here is the hang up that I had when I did this with Mr. Howard's class. Here's something you should think about. Here's the student work sample that shows this is an effective practice. The work sample is uh, such a big thing. I found like uh, you, can, you can be a great presenter, but if you can't like show a group of educators like, hey, here's what my kids actually did with this, there's the having it become a real thing they can do doesn't always transfer. So I like to have a big pile of uh, student examples of anything that I show. So then they're like, Oh, you know, if he can get 60 kids in their, in their sixth grade building in these classes to do that, there's no reason I can't get a couple of my kids to at least try this. Absolutely. And that takes me to a whole nother soapbox that I'm not going to get on right now, but making sure that we can support our learning with real work is so important when we're presenting at these events. Absolutely. I agree. I think one of the big things when I decide what I'm going to share is really what am I passionate about? Because if it's, 
you know, I can, I can go through and teach the technical side of something, but I tend to lean towards those more creative endeavors because that of course is something that I'm very passionate about. And it's easy, no, you know, it's, it's easy then for me to, um, really be able to have a good presentation uh, at that conference. Well, I think, I mean, I, oh, sorry, Aaron. I was just gonna say, I've seen everybody here present. And I think, Sam, I think that you make a really great point is kind of knowing like what your, like how, how you operate as a person, like what are your strengths? So like for me, I'm very creative and I love to do creative things. I like to have fun and I like to be kind of silly and goofy the way that I do stuff. So that really affects the way or the content or the things that I kind of bring to the table when I present something. And, but I think like, you know, we all have different personalities and we all present different things in different ways. But I think a big part of that is like, you know, uh, what your job demands you to do, what you feel like uh, the most effective way that you connect and communicate with people. And that should always be like a part of your, your presentation style and your presentation proposal. So you need to think about that. Cause like anybody could go on to like uh the if you're a google trainer you have access to like everybody's slides that they've submitted as part of the uh whatever like the resource pool like anybody go on there and steal something off and present it but if it wasn't like done in the style that you're going to deliver it it's going to be a garbage presentation that's a great point something too you know we were in our last um episode we were talking about our district kind of technology uh, PD that we do. And so, you know, take a look at those needs assessments that you're collecting because those could really give you some great ideas of if those are the needs of your teachers in your district, there could be a possibility that those are also the needs of people um, locally and around the area that are attending big conferences like METC. And so then if you're kind of feeling like, I have no idea what I want to present on, I don't know, um, you could just definitely go to your tech coach and see it, they could take a look at their needs assessment to kind of jog your memory because you might have already done some of those great things in your classroom throughout the year. And uh, that'd be a great presentation. Absolutely. So I know when we're all creating our, our proposals, one of the biggest things that we get caught up on is what is the name going to be and how important is a catchy title and description I feel like sometimes that's what I get stuck on the most is that description and that catchy title, even though I know what content I want to present. So who wants to talk about those catchy titles and descriptions? I'm kind of a dork. Like I love coming up with just dorky titles and presentation descriptions and stuff like that. So I usually start with um, what's the theme of the conference itself and then just kind of go from there. So I had so much fun um, with the one, was it last year, Jonathan, at METC? It was like the back to the- 35, two years ago, yeah. Yeah, two years ago, yeah. That one was really fun, like to do, I don't know, like some DeLorean references and stuff like that. It was just, it was just a good time. I say last year, I meant, because I guess this year is still this year, but uh, 2018. So. 2018. Yeah, that was that was really fun. It was kind of like a back to the future kind of thing. So it was just fun to make your titles and descriptions match along with the theme. Erin is the queen of themes in her district. Every time they have Tech PD, it surrounds a, a very clever theme for sure. So as far as description, I think um, as, as someone who has definitely scored a, a couple uh, presentations, the I do love the catchy titles. However, um, you definitely want to make sure that you kind of it matches your content. Um, uh, we do get a lot of uh, titles that are 
they sound great, but they have we have no idea what they are. You know, I mean, it's like seeing a commercial that you don't know what the, con- the actual product is um, throughout the whole you know commercial. But um, then the description really have detailed information on what your participants are going to get out of it because that prescription or that description is really going to be used in a future program or future website um, to promote your uh, event. And so those 140, 400 characters, whatever, how many characters you happen to get are very important um, and don't put in unnecessary information. Just stick to the facts and get to it and connect it to um, the standards that the particular um, conference really wants. And so you have to fit a lot into that small amount of description, but it all should be focused on the participant and the outcomes that uh, they're going to get. That's a great point, Jonathan. Like I, I was, I was thinking too with, um, it, I never write all of my presentation, like titles and descriptions in the actual proposal itself. Like I always do it in like a Google doc or something so I can really have a good look at it and, and work on it, make sure the word counts correct. And then it's just so much easier just to copy and paste it over to the actual proposal. That's a good point, Aaron. And I'll know a lot of, uh, a lot of places will include a template. And MUTC is also uh, one of those. And so if you go to MUTC uh, website, you will see a template for your proposal. And so you can actually take that doc and fill it out completely, and it matches um, the online form. And so then when you're ready to submit, you just copy-paste your content, and you, that way you know exactly what you're doing. You've used spell check because proofreading does matter. Because, um, you know, reality is you're, you're causing more work on the actual people that put the conference together because we have to then edit all of those, and we're talking about 240 sessions. Um, and if you're not putting in that much kind of effort into your proposal, then what's your presentation going to look like? So you kind of have to make sure you use those uh, ELA, ELA skills and make sure you proofread your work too. So, Well, uh, I hate to say it, but sometimes like uh, the things that catch my attention most in when I look at like a session grid or something at a conference is the catchy titles always catch me first. So I think there is like a lot of uh, – power in just thinking a little bit more before you submit your uh, your session and making sure your title is at least something that will catch somebody's eye. I, for me, I always will use um, a li- like just even something like alliteration or, you know, I like to do theming a little bit. Like I did a, the, the podcasting session I've been doing the last year or so. It's called Pod Chef and cooking up podcast your classroom. And then the description was way over the top with all these cooking metaphors. But I think you got the idea because it was about preparing podcasts. But um, so I think, you know, that's kind of a, a really, that's like an edge that you can walk that can also, somebody comes in and they, you have this great description and you have this great title, but did you spend all your time, kind of like what Jonathan was saying, is all your time spent on crafting like the best social media blurb and you haven't actually uh ha- don't really have anything to show because i've been to those kind of sessions too where it's somebody that like i was looking forward to seeing and they've done a really good job of selling selling themselves and then i go in and we're looking at bullet points off of powerpoint so um you got to balance it like a, a, a title goes a long way to catch people's attention but put, put more of your effort into what you're going to present and how you're going to present so that's a real good point Josh. Um, So Jonathan, you said there are 240 sessions, right? So if we're putting effort into submitting the proposal, hopefully getting accepted, getting ready to present, we all need to find a way to try and 
you know, be our own marketer, to sell our own session so that someone says, hey, cooking up podcasts like a top chef, that sounds like something that catches my eye and I'm going to want to sit in that room. Um, and, if, you know, so I really think that there's a lot of value in being thematic in your title and your description. And Josh, I got to tell you, um, I really saw the ELA teacher in you coming out when you're talking about the alliteration and those, oh, yeah. um, and those ongoing metaphors. Uh, you're really speaking my language there. Hey, English teacher over here, so I'm with you. That's right. We're both recovering, though. Mm. Indeed. But yeah, I just see so much value in that. You know, if you're going to put the effort into the um, into putting together a presentation, you have to do something to get people in the room. And that catchy title and description will do that. And that's what I tell teachers as they're um, preparing to put these things together: is think about what's going to make you want to sit down in that room, you know, and have something that's going to, you're going to have a title that goes with the description and you're going to kind of lead that into your whole session. I do one called being a G suite superhero and it's all superhero title, superhero description. And there are superheroes on the screen when I'm doing my whole little song and dance. So it all kind of um, follows along. You have to be that's careful awesome. though, to make sure your, your, your title does not insinuate that someone's going to be there. Like cooking up podcasts, makes you think the food's going to be part of the show. So hopefully Josh, you would be there food. for that. Me too. Actually. <laughs> um, I wanted to say one thing, and I don't know where this fits in, but this is such a pet peeve of mine for conference stuff, so stop me if I get on a soapbox here. Um, just the, the whole the field of education is very cyclical, but it's also uh, it's all follow the leader. So uh, you'll start to see a lot of the same stuff come up in presentations, and everybody starts presenting the same ideas. They change the titles up a little bit, but we're all showing HyperDocs, you know, or we're all showing uh, Google Tour Builder all of a sudden. So I think that's another thing that you have to be really careful of is, uh, and it happens in my district all the time. And I always use HyperDocs as an example because we had a tech conference in district a couple of summers ago, and we had like six people submit a HyperDocs uh, session. And that's great. But man, if we got six presenters who already know HyperDocs really well, is that something that we need to like, emphasize in our professional development and I see the same thing at conferences I'll go and I'll see especially at a larger regional conference like MBTC or something uh, you'll see a, a several people doing the same thing and I don't have a huge problem with that but I would also challenge those people like hey if you're seeing this thing that you continually present over and over again mm -hmm. other people are doing it like challenge yourself maybe dig a little deeper into your bag of tricks and find something uh, new and different that you can show off because none of us are like one trick ponies sure you have a session that you're good at presenting that you like to present, but it's also kind of cool to challenge yourself to try something new and different that you haven't presented before. And that's a really good point, Josh, too. You know, I thought about that a lot this year. So I put in um, for this past METC, we just had a new session that I ended up getting to present at the last minute. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't techie at all. It was more about um, attending and processing your learning through PD. And I really just kind of looked at the things that we're doing here in our district and that I work with teachers on and turned that into an METC session. And it, I thought it went pretty well for the folks who were in the room, but I had to really kind of challenge myself to get out behind the, let me show you how to click this in Google slides to let me share some of those big picture ideas that maybe some of us are thinking, but no one's saying. And I think uh, just a one last thing on that. You're, I, in my opinion, I've never put together a conference or done a session grid. But if you're doing something unique and original that nobody else is doing, you're a lot more likely to get your session accepted. And that's how I always, I feel like I, I can't remember the last time I got 
something rejected. And that's because I'm constantly evaluating what other people are doing and I'm trying to like do something different. And that's like a humble brag on my part, but my, my, my sessions get accepted. So you should listen to the same things. That I'm saying. <laughs> and I just put in for whatever Josh did at the last conference we went to because his always got accepted. So that's yeah. just, just take I, I just copy Josh's and put my name on it and get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. So one of the things that has come up over and over in our featured content is focusing on the standards. So while we're creating these conference proposals, really having clear set of standards that we want to meet and what we are offering to our offering to the people that attend our sessions. Um, does anybody else want to speak on standards before we move on to our next question? So I, I will hit that real quick. Um, sorry if I jumped in on anybody and, and pulled a uh, JP, but um, I, I know that. Wait, uh, were you talking to me, Jonathan? Should I just start talking right now? <laughs> yeah. So I know, I know that when. Yeah, the um, standards are really important though. <laughs> submit for ISTE. Um, standards are quite important. Obviously the ISTE standards are doing the same thing for METC. The standards are really important. And when we go to build a session grid, we want to make sure those set those different standards are highlighted. So um, something that, you know, another tip that kind of goes along with this is think about those standards that when you go to a conference, you see a lot of, um, and the creation standard and the facilitator standard was, was a huge one this year. And so a, a huge percentage of those just did not get accepted because they were submitted under that particular standard. Um, but the, stand, the standard for digital citizenship, we had only a handful of proposals. So unless it was really bad, um, it got accepted. And so think about your the look at the standards that the the conference is, is looking into and is connecting to, and then seeing how your content can hit those um, kind of obscure standards, the ones that don't get too many um, sessions, because that would really beef up your chance of getting uh, accepted. Just a tip from MTC side. And that is a really important piece of advice. I know I asked Jonathan to um, conference with me over something I was submitting to an event one time, and that was really the focus of the entire conversation is where do the standards fit in here. So that's advice I really appreciated, and I hope we all kind of really keep in the back of our minds as we are working to submit our own proposals and working with other folks to submit theirs. So, I mean, I really believe in – we're as professional as a – as a mentor, as a leader, we should be emphasizing the standards, especially ISTE standards, because that's what I do with my teachers. But I mean, if they're coming, we need to be able to, in some way, kind of back our theory or our ideas that we're sharing with teachers with some sort of pedagogical, like understanding of why it's important or why we're doing it. So we need to be able to point to those standards. That said, I don't always share them at sessions because I feel like it's a really dry part of a presentation. So that's like a, a weakness with me. But I do feel like you'd need to be, like if somebody came up and said, hey, the thing that you're talking about here, I think is really cool. Like, man, being doing this creative project with Google Slides is awesome, but can you tell me why I should be doing something this, like this with my uh, students? And you should be like, well, yeah, like innovative design, that's a really you know important thing that, teacher, that a student should be, you know, having exposure to and experience with in uh, in their daily lives, let alone the things that we're doing in our classroom. But um, just keeping those in mind, even if it's not something that you explicitly, you need to be able to back up anything you present with, with some sort of standard. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a good point, Josh. I mean, I don't think to we're to a point where you have to have I can statements up uh, during your presentation. But well, METC is um, not going to have that too. You have to have that in your slides now. <laughs> but um, it's, I mean, it, I think it, as long as you say you're going to hit this standard and you actually can see that within your presentation, you'll be fine. You don't. That's I don't. I don't think you have to explicitly um, mention your standards within your presentation. It should be pretty obvious that you are presenting something on an event of education or event of integration, whatever it happens to be, um, did sit. And um, as long as you make that clear, I think, you know, because the, the question is on the evaluation is, did the presentation hit the standards that, I mean, it just says, is it related? It doesn't say, oh, well, they did have a slide that had the standards on there. So yeah, it must be good. But um, your content's good and you connected to those standards, you're fine. I can't take credit for this, I wish I could, um, but my colleague, Mike McCann, I love when he does presentations just down on the corner, kind of in a little lighter font, he will connect to the ISTE standards. So it's not that he necessarily points it out, but he has that ISTE standard written directly on there, which I think is just, it's good modeling for our teachers too, so that our teachers know when they're presenting to their kids that they should have, maybe you know, not make a huge deal of it, but I'm connecting to a standard at some point in time here. When I do uh, PD sessions in my district, I, and I, I don't do this at big conferences, but um, I always put the ISTE standard at the beginning because, you know, the stake, I feel like the stakes are a little higher with my own teachers. So I got to make sure that they know it. But I will, I, I mean, that's cool. That's a great example of how you can kind of do that, like the way that Mike does it and not have it be like a big drive part of your conference presentation. That's good. Right. Right. So, so the next question that we have is um, all of us present at conferences quite frequently, but how do we get our teachers to submit more proposals? Because within each of our districts, we have and work with phenomenal educators. So how do we encourage them to um, step into the presenting role? Aaron, do you want to start us off? Because I know that Orchard Farm does a great job of pushing their teachers to do this. Yeah, so we have, um, you've heard me talk about it before, we have our district technology committee. And so we worked um, over the past couple of years talking about these things that we just talked about in this episode um, on how to submit a great proposal and what does it look like and what does great PD look like, things like that. So we, we worked first on just getting everybody comfortable with that. And then from there, um, we actually made it a requirement that if you're on our district technology committee, that you have to submit a proposal for METC. Um, or you can also explore options of, you know, also submitting to um, like St. Louis, St. Louis, uh, no, St. Charles Public School or to Wentzville or wherever um, to any of their kind of district tech days as well, because the whole point is just to try to get outside of our district and and share. And so once we kind of got over the fear of submitting proposals, then and we all work together as a team to help each other submit those proposals. Um, so I mean, basically, once they got the bug, they got bit by the presentation bug, then they were on it. They thought that it was so much fun. They got to go to METC, got to present, got to see what it felt like. And so now we've moved on to you can submit a proposal if you want, or if you're aware of a teacher in your building that's doing something really amazing, sit down with them and help them submit a proposal. Um, so that way we're just kind of spreading the love of getting those presentations out there. 
That is awesome, Erin. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we are quickly running out of time. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our closing comments so we so, can wrap. So Sam, I, I want to add. I want to add one thing. Sorry, I know. I know that, um, but that brings up a good point because I deal with it a lot at METC and. Just, just know that if you don't get accepted, it's not personal. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll speak to people on this call that um, there's nothing that we actually go to painstaking links to make sure the name of the presenter is not in the scoring when people actually score it. Because it's not about the people, it's about the content. And so it's not like, oh, we saw this, is, this is, um, you know, Mary's presentation. Well, we got to accept it or we can't accept it, that kind of thing. It's it's really on the content and then like back to those standards if we have 240 sessions and 120 of them are actually under one standard a lot of those are not going to accept it and so it's not a personal thing and it's, i mean because i've had people oh i guess i didn't do good enough job or i'm not good enough mentioned to me i'm like that's not it and so just keep that in mind if you don't get accepted and just ask how you can get better next time so sorry i just want to throw that in there no no good point thank you jonathan now we're going to wrap it up and jump into closing comments Jonathan, do you want to talk about METC proposals? Yeah, so the METC proposals for next year's conference in February opened up this week, and this is the week of um, May 13th. So um, it will open, it's op going to be open until July 10th. And so for those who have submitted in the past, you're like, what? Including people in this pod squad, um, because usually it's open until after the beginning of the year. However, um, we want to have our registration open earlier, and in order to do that, we need to have our sessions kind of um, selected earlier. So in order to do that, we have to have our deadline pushed up as well. So um, our deadline is July 10th, and then we're going to score them all in July, and hopefully notifications for um, presenting will go out early August, and then the grid is hopefully going to be done by mid-August, and so is registration going to be open. So. Um, everything's kind of been pushed up a little bit, and so um, just be thinking about that uh, while you're having a beverage in your pool, and then submit one with a catchy title using margaritas. <laughs> and then there's also a lot of things going on at MET this METC this summer. Jonathan, you want to touch on those real quickly? Yeah, it's it's um, starting this week. We've got a lot of stuff going on. My calendar is uh, crazy, which is which is great because I usually get bored. You know me, but. Um, we have a lot of ISTE certification sessions going on. We've got, um, and all over the place, really. We've got uh, three different sessions here in St. Louis. We've got one down in Springfield, and we've got one down in Florida. Um, and so it's pretty exciting to kind of be doing those all over the place. Um, and then we've got our Summer Institute, which is in June. And we've got AR, VR. We're bringing Jamie Donnelly um, and talk about AR, VR. So, it's going to be really exciting. That's in July. And then we also have our annual Google extravaganza. Uh, it's also in July with two days of Google there. So a lot of stuff going on, a lot of ways to connect with us. Uh, if I'll put, go ahead and plug the podcast because I spoke at length about all of that stuff. Um, but you can also go to the website, metcedplus.org for more information on any of that. And Josh, huge shout out to you. You, got, you are going to be the featured presenter at the South Central Learning Summit. Do you want to give a shout out to that? Uh, yeah, so I actually have a bunch of stuff coming up next month, so I'll just share all this. Um, uh, I don't know if anybody's going to be in Arkansas, but I'll be at the Springdale Innovation Institute, uh, 12th and 13th of June. Um, and that's uh, just going to be doing some uh, feature presentation there as well. 
Um, and like John, I don't know if you mentioned this, Jonathan, but the METC Summer Institute is the 17th and the 18th, and I'll be presenting there both days, uh, doing virtual field trips um, in 3D uh, printing design and maker app smash, uh, smashing there. And then the 19th, I'll be in Rolla. So that's a big week because it's all right before ISTE. So uh, that same week, uh, I'll be in Rolla at the South Central Learning Summit, and we'll be doing uh, uh, some Google Slides stuff there. And speaking of ISTE, we are all anxiously counting down to ISTE. Um, please come connect with us if you're going to ISTE this year. We'll be doing both a poster session and a panel session, and we would love to meet you in person. And who's going to wrap us up with our, um, our new website reveal? Well, what the heck? I made it. So uh, I will share. Hey, I got, we got big news. The Pod Squad's got big news for all of our uh, adoring throng of fans out there. Uh, you can now check us on the web at edtechpodsquad.com. That will be a place where you can connect with us, um, find out some more information about our podcast, uh, get presentation resources, uh, listen to the episodes directly on there. And we will try to update that with any important information about podcast episodes being released. Uh, just anything that we mentioned on here, you can find more information on our website, and that is edtechpodsquad.com. So definitely check that out. Add it to your bookmarks. Um, put, give yourself a Google alert to uh, get a update on that every morning when you get out of bed. All right. And one last time, let's go ahead and go around the room so that our listeners know how to connect with us. All right, guys, I am J.P. Prezavento from Fox Schools in Arnold, Missouri. You can connect with me at J.P. Prez on Twitter or jpprez.com. And before I pass the mic, I do want to remind everyone that you should rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps get this show in front of more people and connect with us at EdTechPodSquad on Twitter and hashtag EdTechPodSquad. So I'm Erin Lawson, a district tech coach in the Orchard Farm School District, and you can find me on Twitter tweet at Erin underscore Lawson three. And I am Jonathan Lee, instructional tech coach at uh, METC or whatever my official title is. And you can catch me on Twitter at Jaylee Tech Percent and the other podcast, the METC podcast as well. I'm Josh Howard, tech coach in Fulton, and you can get me at Josh C. Howard on Twitter, uh, joshhoward.com. And don't forget at techpodsquad.com. Woo! Hype! And I'm Samantha Hardesty Knoll, instructional coach for the Wentzville School District. And you can reach me at Ed Tech. No, no. Gosh, Aaron, I just pulled an Aaron. It's <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. You can reach me at Tech Knoll. At Tech Knoll. And that's going to wrap up episode 15 of the Ed Tech Pod Squad. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the EdTech Pod Squad. We will see you next month for sharing and reflecting with Josh Howard, Samantha Hardesty-Knoll, Aaron Lawson, Jonathan Lee, and J.P. Prezavento.